Be thou our vision, God. Be our wisdom. Be our strength, our shield. Be our shelter. O God, be our tower. Be our true word. And most of all, be the ruler of all. And may that include us, hold captive our thoughts, our minds, even our imaginations in this moment that we might glimpse of your glory. And we pray all of these things with great anticipation in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said together. Amen. We have been walking through a series that's called A Soft Heart for a Hard World, where we've been talking about how God cultivates within us wise, generous, kind, good hearts in the midst of a cruel and stained, stingy kind of world. And as we've been doing this, we've been walking through the story of Moses, the story of Exodus. We've been seeing the contrast of Pharaoh and the Egyptian way of life and that from Yahweh and what God's people are supposed to experience. Last week, we looked at the most dramatic and kind of pinnacle moment of the Old Testament. We looked at the moment of the parting of the Red Sea, the crossing on dry land, that God carves out a way where there seemed to be no way. Uh, My family's recently from Southern California for the last seven and a half years, and this is what the Red Sea moment would have looked like had it taken place with people from California in it. You kids settle down, this is serious. But in reality, once you get to the other side of the Red Sea miracle, chapter 15, it really is this not serious, ruckus, amazing celebration of song and dance and drink and food. In chapter 16, only three days after the Red Sea miracle, the people begin to complain and pine for the good old days of going back to Egypt. And then in chapter 17, they learn of God's provision at the end of 16 with manna and 17 with the provision of water and how God will provide for them that he has not abandoned them in the wilderness. And then in chapter 18, we are about to experience a holy intervention where God is about to interrupt Moses' life and the way that he is leading and say, hey, things have got to change. If there's kind of a thesis for today or a phrase that I want you to get, it's this. I'm going to tip my hand right at the beginning here, that it was easier for God to get the people out of Egypt than it was to get the Egypt out of them. Will you say that with me? It was easier to get the people out of Egypt than it was to get the Egypt out of them. Forty years, it does not normally take to walk from point A to point B, even through the wilderness or the desert of the Sinai Peninsula. It was that something needed to happen within them within the course of a generation in order for them to purge the imaginations, to perform kind of a giant communal exorcism of purging Egyptian way of life out of them in order for them to be able to enter into the promised land. And in order to do that, they're going to have to go through some rough patches. 
I want to show you a picture here of Coach Chan Gailey. He's maybe no stranger to many of you in the Atlanta area. He coached at Georgia Tech. Um, he also coached at the Dallas Cowboys, at the Buffalo Bills. And before all of that, he was a coach at Troy State. And while he was there, this was a division that was lower than NCAA Division I, but he was coaching his team to the national championship game. And so you can imagine how much his thoughts were consumed with that one big game and what it meant for the pinnacle of their whole season to lead up to that. And so they've got this one big national championship game. Coach is on his way to preparing one of the last practices that he's about to give for his team before the big game. And while he's on his way, his administrative assistant calls him and says, Coach, Coach, you got a phone call here at the office. you got to come back. He's like, what are you talking about, a phone call? Like, I'm coaching, like, one of the most important practice of the year. I'm going to go coach the practice. And she's like, no, 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 coach, you don't understand. You've got to come back and you've got to take this call. It's Sports Illustrated on the other line. This obviously changed Coach Gailey's mind. He turned around, started walking back to his office. And while he's walking back towards his office, he's already rehearsing in his mind the speech of like, you know, it's been the hard work and the dedication to these students. I'm so proud of him. He's starting to kind of, you know, puff up a little bit from all of the things that he's going to talk about and accomplishments. He gets back to his office. He kind of gets at his desk. He gets settled, takes a deep breath, picks up the phone. And he says, this is Coach Gailey. And the person on the other line says, is this Chan Gailey? And he goes, yes, this is Coach Gailey. And he says, hi, um, yes, this is so-and-so with Sports Illustrated. We would like to let you know that your subscription has expired and we <laughs> would like for you to renew. <laughs> Click. To which Chan Gailey said this. He said, you are either being humble or you are in the process of becoming Humbled. Can I have an amen? amen? Amen. Some of you need to tell somebody strategically that story at brunch after church today. The way Jesus put it was that those who will exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. You are about to witness the moment of humility, even a little bit of humiliation for Moses as his father-in-law intervenes in his life. Moses is ignoring his family. He's working too hard. He's obsessed. And then Jethro, his father-in-law, intervenes. The next day, Moses took a seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he says, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? If you have your own Bible, feel free to circle, underline the word alone. Why do you do this alone? Why are you taking all of this on yourself, Moses? Moses is trying to get it all done and he's putting it all on his shoulders. But notice, not only does Jethro kind of draw close into Moses to confront him, before he does so, he leads with questions. He seeks to understand before trying to be understood. He earns the right in order to be heard. 
One of the ways that we could learn in our society today would be to begin with questions, to try to learn from the people around us instead of so many of us as followers of Jesus would just walk into a situation, kind of guns a-blazing to, to say, this is what you ought to do, this is what you ought to do, this is what you should do, as opposed to asking questions. Not that long ago, Pastor Jay and I were in London, England for the training of a ministry because in this message, I want to preview for you some ministries that we're going to be pointing to and launching in the fall. And one of those ministries is called Alpha. We were at Holy Trinity Brompton, which is ground zero for the movement of Alpha. Alpha is a an intentional ministry, an environment, a safe, hospitable place for people to be able to explore questions, kind of the basic questions of the faith. And when we're going through the training, there was something that was really discouraging going on. They said, you know who makes the worst alpha facilitators? The people who think they know it all. And as soon as they were describing this, I was like, I'm out. As my wife could tell you, one of my favorite things to do is to tell you what I think. Uh, we, we, in fact, we were at the dinner table recently, and we had pulled out this thing from the internet that says what it's like to date your Myers-Briggs personality type. I'm an ENFJ, and apparently the good news about what it means to, to date me is, um, is that I always want you to be a better version of yourself. The bad news of what it means to date someone like me is that sometimes you just want to sit in front of the TV and just veg and you don't want to be a better version of yourself, right? It can be exhausting to be with someone like me all the time. I'm always trying to fix it and make, make people better. Jethro, Jethro does this so well because he leans in with questions. He asks and he waits. Alpha doesn't teach people and argue people into the faith. It outflanks intellectual arguments, which we believe always have an emotional root. And we do that by listening. While we were at the Alpha training, there was this phrase, I don't remember who said it, but they put it this way, that the faith is diminishing in influence in the world, not because the gospel has become less relevant or less true, but because we have forgotten how to listen. How do you think people's experience of Peachtree and the gospel would be different if we took a listening posture to those who had questions? And we were intentional, like Jethro, at asking some of those right questions ourselves. I love that Jethro leads with these questions and then when Moses answers, Moses really tips his hand with his answer here. Look at it with me. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide the parties to inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Me, 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 I, I, I. Moses has built this whole ministry around his own little orbit, and he feels completely obligated to meet all of the needs of the people around us. My wife and I have learned a phrase that we have carried with us throughout the last couple of decades that's been really important and central to us, and it's this, the need is not the call. Will you say that with me? The need is not the call. In other words, just because there's a need around you 
doesn't mean that you are called to meet that need. Did you know that there were lots of unmet needs around Jesus? Let's look at this passage here. This is Mark chapter 1. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, and I love this, Let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Did Jesus heal every disease in that town? No. Did he meet every need in that town? No. And the reason that he didn't is because Jesus had a call. He had set his face towards Jerusalem. And he had a mission in the cross that he came to do that it was building towards. Here's the problem. If we as Christians think that our job is always to meet every single need around us, that means that we no longer have discernment as a part of our lives. Just because there's a need doesn't mean that you're called to meet that need, that needs and call. Needs are not sovereign. God is sovereign. Are you tracking with me? And if you believe that needs are sovereign, you will be a servant to the unmet needs of the people who are around you. That is why we as a church have spent the better part of a year where we've been going through this journey of trying to discern Peachtree's vocation, Peachtree's call, the joining of Christ daily and the restoration of all things and values like unexpected togetherness and gentle reverence and disruptive compassion and having established priorities of beholding and worship, belonging to a community and becoming on a journey that as we pull those things together, all that pulls together to a call. Because you know what? One of the problems, and I knew this as soon as I took the call and coming here to Peachtree. Peachtree's a big church. It's a great church. It's been going on for a long time. After a while, Peachtree started this mindset of, that's a good idea. We should do that. That's a good idea. We should do that. That's a great idea. We should do that. And before you know it, you're not discerning anymore. You're just starting stuff. And after a while, you become a mile wide and an inch deep, and you don't do any one thing particularly well. You just do a lot of little things. I remember when Jay Madden told me this in the process of us kind of getting to know one another here. He said, you know what, Peachtree, we kick a lot of field goals, but we don't score a lot of touchdowns. And that's because we've lost our sense of call. We're cultivating that sense of call right now in the church so that needs are not sovereign, but God gives us a vocation. And we believe that that's not only true for us as a church, we believe that that's true for you. So starting in the fall, we're piloting. We've got Alpha piloting in the fall. We've also got another ministry that we're piloting that's called Unique. With this Life Unique ministry is us training and equipping you to think about your call. Because the church doesn't just have a call. I'm your pastor. It's not just me that has a call. You have a call regardless of what career you're in. God's given you a calling. And the question is, do you understand that calling? Do you feel fueled for that calling so that you can live out that call? And if you don't have that clarity of a calling, then you will, like Moses, be consumed with all of the needs of the people around you, and you're going to try to meet all of them. It's just not possible. And so in response to this, Moses says, 
or Jethro says to Moses, hey, Moses, what you're doing? It's not good. Verse 18, hey, Moses, it ain't good. This is the intervention part. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, darkness covered, thing, everything. On the first day, there was light, and God saw that the light was what? It was good. It was evening, morning, first day, second day, and it was good. Third day, and it was good. Fourth day, it was good. Fifth day, it was good. By the time you get to creation on the sixth day of humankind, male and female, God says it was very good, the pinnacle of creation, because humanity uniquely reflects the image of God. And then by the time you get to chapter two, there's something that's not good. It's not good for us to be alone. And by the time you get to Exodus here, something else is not good. And that's because Moses has lost his sense of call and he's trying to do it all by himself. When our family used to live in the New York City area, there was a man who once came to my office. He had some questions about God, some questions about heaven, some questions about hell. He wasn't a member of the church. He was a member of the community. He came in. He asked me these questions. He had some questions about prayer. He didn't seem particularly angry to me. He didn't seem particularly depressed. He asked these questions. He said, thank you. He left. I went back to my next appointment, didn't give it another thought until I picked up the newspaper and that that man had killed the next day his wife, his nine-year-old son, and then thrown himself in front of a train to take his own life. God put that man in my office and I missed it. I didn't see it. With all my training, all my expertise, I didn't see it. I went into a tailspin of ministry. I was devastated, was pretty close to give it up. How could, God, how could you put this person in my office and I didn't see it? This is a colossal waste. I was signed up for a doctoral class, and a part of the class was also signing up for one-on-one spiritual direction. The professor of the course was this man who also performed my spiritual direction. His name is Dallas Willard. And he began to do surgery on my soul. And you would think that after something devastating like I had been through, that Dallas would come alongside me and he'd be like, there, there, Rich, it's gonna be okay, but that's not what he did. He said, Rich, In his own words, he says, Rich, what you're doing is not good. You have built your whole ministry around your own personality, your own competence, your own skill, your own ideas. When in reality, the only sustainable form of ministry is built upon the faithfulness of God. Rich, what you're doing is not good. And he began to put the pieces of not only my soul, but a different framework for ministry together. I remember when we were together one-on-one, I asked Dallas, I said, Dallas, why, why is our society such a mess today? And he said this, because we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship.
We are so confused. We are so drifting. We have lost our sense of call. We are trying to do it all on our own. And we need someone like Jethro to enter into our lives. And so hear me in this. Do you have a Jethro in your life? Do you have someone who knows you well enough, who loves you enough, who is nosy enough in your life to be able to come into your life and to be able to come in and to be able to tell you and confront you lovingly, hey, what you're doing, it's not good. Because we need Jethro's in our life, do we not? The result of living the way that Moses and many of us live today and without a call, with, without a sense of purpose, and in doing so all by ourselves in isolation, the result of this, we see this in verse 18, you and these people will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Is it me or is this the diagnosis of our world today? Worn out, too heavy, and all alone. And if this is you, I want you to hear afresh the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus does not promise that your career will be easy. Jesus does not promise that your family will be easy. Jesus does not promise that your friendships will be easy. He does not promise that your life will be easy. What he does promise, he promises, is that his yoke is easy. And his yoke is his teaching of being connected to him. Jesus is not putting one more religious burden on you. He is saying there's a whole different way to live. When you're yoked with someone, you're connected to them. It's very different to try to plow a field on your own than it is yoked to someone else. Jesus is like, come to me. Because it's too heavy and you'll be worn out and you're trying to do it all on your own. Burnout rates are at astronomical levels in life right now. And so here's what I love. This is where Jethro gets really specific. Jethro says this, listen to me now and I will give you some advice. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men. We would say this interpreting it today applies to both men and women as full leaders in the church. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over hundreds thousands, fifties, and tens. Here you see, and this is so appropriate for a day like Pentecost today, you see the disbursement of the ministry of God. There was a moment in ministry where Rick Warren was almost at burnout at the famous Saddleback Church as it was growing bigger and bigger. And finally, Rick Warren stood before his congregation and he said, I'll make you a deal. I'll do the feeding if you do the leading. We've got to give it away. You see with these groups of 50s, 10s, you see the disbursement of ministry into smaller communities. This is going to be our primary focus for the next 18 months or so in the life of the church. You're going to see this over and over again, that Peachtree is a really big place and that we need to do things like this where we need to, to teach people. We need to show people how to live. We need to select capable and competent leaders. And one of the things that we need to double down on here at Peachtree is finding these communities to be able to fit 
get people into because it's way too easy to get lost in a large congregation like Peachtree. You cannot create a deep sense of belonging just by coming to church on a regular basis. We have got to get you into more significant communities. And let me tell you why this is important. There is a family in this church that is going through absolute devastation and have for the last couple of years. You would think that this family, if you saw a picture of them, they would look completely normal to you, but on the inside, things are torn apart. They have been dealing with things like deception and drugs and even assault and even death. But this family has one thing that many families in this church do not have. They have a group of people that have come alongside them and stood with them in the midst of all of this devastation. They have a Sunday school class in this church, a group of about 50 to 70 people. It's big enough to dare and it's small enough to care. And they are coming alongside this family and they are saying, you may be going through this, you may be walking the valley of the shadow, but you will not be alone. And I know many families in this church that don't have that. Many individuals that don't have that. We've got to have these vibrant communities, these little tribes that you can call your own, where you are known and be known that you are loved and be so loved, that you'll be celebrated and you will be celebrated. You will serve and be served. The theological principle from this, all of what chapter 18 is lending itself and building up as a crescendo up to is the beginning of chapter 19, where God says this, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. That's what you and I are designed to be. I'm not the only priest. Guess what? All of you are priests. This is the priesthood of all believers. This is the explosion and the unleashing of the church. I want you to hear me saying, I'm giving it away. It was never mine to begin with. Lead people, lead in your workplaces, lead in your homes, lead in your neighborhoods. You are priests, you are ambassadors of God's presence. You are intercessors of God's goodness in the world. You are joining all of the process of what God is doing in the restoration of the world right now. And when we do this, the text says this, this will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home what? Satisfied. Do you know what the word for that in Hebrew is? Shalom. You will go home at peace. This world says that satisfaction comes from being exalted, from being needed, from being right all the time, being left alone, being in charge. We think these things will satisfy us. We think these things will give us peace. It won't. It didn't work for Moses. And it won't work for you. The only thing that brings peace is for us to become a kingdom of priests.
what you're doing, I need to lovingly say, just like Jethro, it's not good. You can't build it all around you. He's giving you a call. And so let us pray. We're so tired, God, from carrying burdens that we were never meant to carry alone. We're worn out from trying to do things that we can't humanly possibly accomplish by ourselves. Lord, we long for peace, but we go about it the wrong way. Forgive us as a church, God, for not giving a pe people their sense of calling and by holding back the call that they should have for themselves. I pray as we look towards the fall and the beginning of some new ministries and ideas and new ways of relating to one another, that you will change us as a church. I pray that you will bring us fresh new communities, that you'll empower old communities, and you'll enable us to become a kingdom of priests. Thank you, God, for people like Jethro in our own lives who love us enough to ask questions, love us enough to listen, and love us enough to confront when we need to hear a word from you. We pray all of these things with great anticipation, and we pray them in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said.